Georgia Dow is a therapist, but she's not your therapist. This show should not substitute a personal consultation with a professional. With some of the some of the the heavy you know lifting, what? it's no. You know what? I I've been thinking about this because I've been looking at the the care that that my dad gets, and I'm like, you know what? This is not enough. I'm like, thank God for the robots. That's actually. What uh-huh. I, said. I, I mean, really, you don't need you don't need an external robot for that. You just kind of need it like an exoskeleton, you know, so that you just put on like a power suit, and then you can kind of do. Yeah, all that but stuff. when when my brain goes, then I won't be able to. Like, I won't. Like, I'll be just walking around like in a circle or something. I think I might need an actual. You know, we'll have reached a singularity by then. Don't worry about it. It's it's right. It's all, it'll, right. It's all set. You'll be a ghost in the shell. It'll be fine. Wait, yeah. Are we talking about uploading consciousness, or are we talking about robots that help you like stand up and get food and take a shower, with or without food? I'm really only interested in the Terminator robots that will ruin <laughs> all mankind, which I get to fight against with plasma rifles. Like that's what I'm personally <laughs> looking forward to. I don't know about y'all. I, I, I mean, don't know. I, I, I figured Georgia would be kind of one of the the pioneers of the Borg. Personally, but oh god! No, no. See, Georgia's Georgia's kid. She's got them in VR training. Like she showed us videos of this. Like she's she's preparing her children to be unstoppable killing machines to survive the Skynet future. Georgia, so I I approve of them. My littlest one, my littlest one. Um, he that's his favorite game ever is Robo Recall. Oh, he god. is. He's just like, I ripped this robot apart. I grabbed the shield. You can use the laser from this one and throw the like he loves this game. And I figure, you know what? We we may need this information of, of what happens when the robots, you know <laughs> <laughs> when they revolt, we're gonna need something. It is wow. Yeah, I mean it's certainly better than Minecraft, which my oldest has suddenly discovered and I'm I'm kinda terrified. So and that's not I don't know. I don't know. We'll need builders. We're going to need builders. The robots destroy a lot of like land. We need people to build it back. We're not building things out of pixels, Georgia. We're building things out. We're going to have to build things out of like, this is not teaching Bricks. her how to use a shovel any more than Doom is teaching you how to shoot a gun. Like that's, that's oh, not. Oh, that hurts me. That, that is that's not, not true. That is not true, Steve. Like it teaches you to A, be an extremely accurate shot. And it teaches you to dodge. And it teaches you to teleport. Like these are three <laughs> fundamental building blocks of fighting robots. Come on. Yes. Oh, One on. must how learn can to you, teleport. How can you mansplain this to George and I? You don't even have an Oculus. Like you did a <laughs> no, demo. No, I'm talking about Minecraft. Guy. I'm not talking about Robo Recall. Robo Recall, oh, okay. I'm sure, is okay. is very yeah. educational and preparing him for for our inevitable robot apocalypse. I'm talking yeah. about my oldest yeah. watching Minecraft videos all. Day and learning how to make bacon by uh, by putting a sword on a pig like yes. that's well, not no, no, how no, no, no. that's okay all, that, no, okay that's let, how me, let me you tell just... you something Steve Lubitz <laughs> you need to take some parenting tips from freaking Georgia oh, now because <laughs> like pigs and strapping stuff to pigs is not a helpful skill for their no future. it's not that's what fighting I'm robots is one so you just need to lock them in VR reality until they're ready to fight for the human race like come on. Yeah. 
So that's, so I basically should just get that that PlayStation VR version of like Resident Evil 7 and just put her in that until she's an unstoppable killing machine. Sure, if you want her on a couch for the rest of your life. Like if you, want, <laughs> if you just want to give your paycheck to Georgia and have Georgia move into your side room permanently to like I, fix your daughters, that's that. great. I, yeah. I mean, in fairness, we'd probably move up to Georgia to get to Canada rather than having her come down to the <laughs> yeah, United States. That's fair. That's, fair. that's, that's yeah, probably. So we right start now. the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that this uh, opens up a very good topic and one that we can go ahead and start with because we're talking about robots and how one day robots are going to rule the world. And that happens to be something that Elon Musk kind of sort of believes as well. Um, in Let's see, where was this? was the World Government Summit uh, this year in Dubai. And uh, Elon was talking about how one day robots are going to basically rule manufacturing or, you know, this is a prediction. And in doing so, uh, a lot of people are going to be put out of work. And so he's talking about, well, if, you know, a bunch of people are going to lose their jobs in manufacturing and in other fields where robots can take over and do a better job in this future that he imagines in his brain that may or may not be uh, virtual reality as well, uh, we're all living in virtual reality. Anyway, he, he says that, you know, we've got to come up with a solution and and the solution, uh, according to Elon Musk, is universal basic income. So if anybody doesn't know, that basically means that uh, there is a set amount of money that everybody kind of makes or, you know, is given. And so there's everybody is at least granted this amount of money. There's a basic income universally. And he's talking about how... Uh, because robots are going to be so much more efficient than humans at doing these manufacturing jobs and doing these these other jobs where where things are produced, it will actually lower the cost of those items as well, and so it will be less expensive to buy things. And we're moving one step closer to our Star Trek future. So yeah, universal basic income and robots ruling manufacturing. What does everybody <laughs> think? So I have a lot to say on this. Um, you know. Universal basic income, I think it's really inevitable that we're going to have to start thinking about this. You know, the truth is, uh, you know, I'm often invited to go look at startups and often I sign NDAs and I can't tell the public about everything I see. But I've seen technology that makes me absolutely convinced that 20 or 30 years from now, we're going to have a jobs crisis in this country. And it's going to be in everything from package delivery to car, um, you know, car automation truck automation, um, you know, even food preparation. Um, you know, these are jobs that are just absolutely going to be devastated by this automated future. So, you know, I, I really see us as having two paths in front of us. You know, one of them is we stay on this current course where, you know, it's kind of this Republican survival of the fittest mentality. And by the way, the Democratic Party is part of that structure, you know, we can either stay on that course or we can start really asking ourselves where we want to go as a human race. And, you know, I think it's really dangerous to talk about universal basic income like it's going to be a utopia. It's not. It's going to be a floor that no one can fall beneath. Uh, but I really see this as something we just have to do as a, as a species. You know, I, I can tell you a key part of my campaign is looking at universal basic income and, you know, asking how we can get to that future. Because 
Yeah, without it, it's literally going to be people starving and dying in the streets as we can't feed ourselves or get ourselves health care. So, you know, this is something I really feel strongly about. I'm, I'm curious how you all feel. It's I mean, it's inevitable because robots are cheaper than people. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. I mean, there's a certain point where they're the jobs that robots can do are just going to be they're going to be done more consistently. You don't have to pay for health insurance. You don't have to pay salary. You just have to keep the lights on. And I think that it's kind of needs to happen. There's a denial about it. And it's the same way, same thing about, you know, like climate change or anything else that's not right in front of us right now that a lot of people just kind of take the ostrich approach towards it yeah. and just say it's, well, that's, that's not going to happen or that's not my problem. That's my grandchildren's problem or something like right. that. Right. And the problem is that by the time that it is, first of all, it may, it may, that may or may not be true. But even if it is, if you don't start planning for it the same way that we're finding with climate change, then you you're you don't have an infrastructure to be able to continue to support once that future gets here, because those things, especially with technology, those things happen in a real hurry. I mean, it's it's yeah, a matter yeah. of I mean, like Amazon already has automation in their warehouses. They hire a lot of people and they and and to be fair, Amazon the way that Amazon treats their workers in a, in a warehouse from the, the reports that have come out are, they would, I'm sure they would prefer they be robots from the way that, um, you know, a lot of the, the reports of how the workers lives are inside the warehouse come out. But, um, like that's coming in a hurry and it's not going to be this kind of radical thing that is going to just all of a sudden be here and, and be a surprise. It's going to come gradually. And all of a sudden it's going to be very apparent and it's starting to happen with like yeah. with coal down in the South is one, is one example of that though. That's because of, you know, coal's just not required anymore, but it's kind of a harbinger. Yeah. Uh, the canary in the coal mine, if you will. Um, can, can I add something on <laughs> yeah. that, Steve? Like yeah. something that really scares me is as a, you know, my uh, race for Congress has been proceeding. I've been reading a lot about climate change and what to expect, because this is probably, in my opinion, the most key policy issue. There's data I have looked at, Steve, that makes me truly believe there is a serious risk of Boston being underwater 50, 100, 150 years from now. Oh, yeah. That is, that is an absolute threat. And when I start looking at the people in Congress and the Senate and asking myself what they're actually talking about, what plans they're putting in place to stop our city from being underwater, I don't hear enough. I barely hear anything, and I definitely don't hear anything from, you know, certain people will go and name that, you know, support the TPP pipeline and continuing fossil fuels. So, you know, this is, at this point, Steve, it is a, it is a, a national emergency because, you know, China is out there. They are putting this kind of investment into, you know, climate change. And, you know, they are getting, they're going to monopolize renewable energy if we don't really make a space race to catch up with them. So if you're talking about another, you know, country controlling, you know, energy resources, that is a huge national security issue as well as like an environmental issue. So this should be one of these things where right and left agrees. But coming back to like universal basic income, yeah, you know, just like, um, you know, climate change, it's a crisis, but it's also an opportunity. Because I believe that universal basic income can really help us get to a future 
where mankind is more free to like pursue our passions, academic resource, taking, you know, research, taking care of our families, you know, it can like build a floor where we can really be more free to live our lives. And I think that's, it's a real excitement and something that we can do on a policy level is we can just pass laws that will have, um, will tax the robots that replace your job. So basically, you know, obviously, like you said at the beginning, if we build a robot that's going to build a car for us, right, that doesn't need benefits, a pension, health care. So if we don't come up with some way to tax that, you know, the truth is people are just going to die in the streets. So what I want to see is a structure that taxes, you know, those robots that come and take away these jobs. Jobs, so they are putting money back into the universal basic income pie for the rest of us. So, you know, this is an achievable policy objective. The problem is our two-party system is so hopelessly beholden to corporate interests that they don't represent anybody on the right or the left, which is why you're seeing this revolt within, within the parties. So Finland and Canada, uh, Ontario, are trying pilot projects of guaranteed basic income to see what the effects would be. For Finland, it's not a lot of money. It's about um, $600 American a month, uh, which I think is really hard to live on. That's for a single person. In Canada, you're going to get about $30,000 a year um, to live on, which is relatively livable here. But it's, again... It's just a net to be able to deal with, you know, all of the different changes that you have. And then if you choose, this would be something that would be non-taxable. You do not have to disclose it and you don't have to let anyone know. This is not like one of those packages that you have to then make sure that you're seeking a job and pay it back or even put it down as your income. So then anything else that you choose to do on top of that could raise your level of income. But it's just to keep people above the poverty line. And in some cases, like, you know, depending on where you live, that may not be enough in Canada because we have free um, health care and schooling um, and medical and uh, subsidized uh, medications. It's livable. It's you're not living in a great life, but you're living. You could, you know, get yourself a little place and, and be able to take care of yourself. And it's something that is a really big deal as we look forward. A lot of people will be like, oh, you know what? I don't have to worry. But we have found that um, machine learning is better than us at detecting cancer rates, um, what type of cancer, better at playing chess, definitely better at automating of, you know, any type of a technology where you're building something. Robots are better. They don't complain. They won't sue you. And so slowly companies are going to be moving that way. And this is something that is going to affect a lot more people than just in industries that are manufacturing. So I think that it's a really interesting discussion of how we go about that. And uh, I fully agree with Bree that it only makes sense to tax the robots that will be taking away jobs from people that are there. And, you know, that could be something that just goes, you know, across the board, just like when you get a car, you have to pay your registration and your licensing fee. And in some places, your gas that you pay for gets taxed as well. Um, sorry about the, the uh, climate change. I think that that's one of the reasons why uh, disinformation is like 99% of people that are uh, in that field and climatologists and uh, they they agree that climate change is real. It's something that we really seriously have to worry about and it's going to be one of the greatest issues that are going to be affecting our um, the whole planet going forward. And so that's why 
education being free is, I think, something that's also very essential. Yeah, and, and I think that one of the challenges, there's a lot of um, just a philosophy in this country that, you know, how hard you work should be tied to how much you make theoretically. Right. And that if you're, if there's, there's an incorrect opinion among some people that if you're, if you're poor, it's cause you're not trying hard enough. Um, and I think that this is going to be kind of a change that we're going to have to figure out both from like a, like a culture standpoint of what do you do? If the robots have taken all the jobs and you now have money that you are spent that to basically not do that job that you were going to do, but there's nothing else that you're qualified for. Like, how do you, how do you fill your time? Like, do we all end up as like the people on the chairs in Wally? You know, <laughs> and, and are, you, you know what I mean? Like, like I do want that chair, though. I, I, I do, do want the chair. Oh, I totally want that chair. <laughs> Cupcake in a cup. Make it happen. I want that so bad. <laughs> the problem is that once those people get in those chairs, they never get out of them. And if they should get knocked over by a mischievous robot, then they can't get up again. You know what I mean? And, that, and that's a right, that's right, a really right. tortured analogy. But that's kind of it, it's a very different thing to not have to work as a member of a productive society. And then what does that mean for those people in the society? Like, what do they do? You know, I, I don't believe that Steve. You know what I think? I think that, um, I think there's something about the human race and the human condition that makes us eternally unhappy and unsatisfied with the way that things are. And I do think the portion of the population is just as you described, but I also think a portion of the population is always going to push harder. And I think a lot of people are going to be attracted to, you know, scientific research, robotics, exploring space. Um, you know, how about more people like Georgia? I mean, imagine if every single person out there that had a high level of empathy like Georgia does could, you know, go out there and spend their time like helping others, listening to others. So I do agree. Some people are going to sit there and just level up the World of Warcraft character all day. But I think, um, you know, there will clearly still be a need for human work, right? Whether it's in a military or if it's in, you know, particularly interesting research. And I think that will be the new, um, kind of class differentiator, right? Like if you're someone that can go out there and create more value for society. But I just, I fundamentally don't believe it's in the human uh, spirit to just loaf around. And frankly, I think it's um, an elitist view. So I, I, I don't think, um, I, yeah, I, I don't think necessarily that, uh, you know, people will want to just sit around. I do think that a lot of people right now are motivated by the, you know, in the capitalist society that we live are motivated by earning, uh, the dollars that they earn for the purpose of, you know, expanding their opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, and that's actually something that Elon touched in or Musk rather touched in the uh, video when he was talking about how, um, that, motivation might have to change um, in order to kind of, yeah, I, I mean, they would have to come up with a new motivation for some folks who uh, in the past were like, you know, the, the reason that I worked so hard and the reason that I did this was so that I could earn money and I could uh, live a comfortable existence and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think for some, it'll be easy to pivot that into uh, the Star Trek future where we really are kind of working for the good of humanity and uh, the good of society. 
But I think for others, that transition won't be as easy. And I, I, I think specifically of, you know, people in my own family uh, and growing up and, and hearing about, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and uh, buckling in and you earned everything that you did because you are doggone awesome or <laughs> what have you. And you worked really hard and sweat and da, 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 da. So that motivation, I think, will have to change where it's not any more about uh, having the biggest bank account or being able to, to go to all of the fancy locations or what have you. And the motivation is based more in uh, making others happy and improving upon uh, the, the human race in general, which I think will be a really awesome leveler and will result in more equality because when we kind of are less focused on ourselves and worried about worried about how successful we can be and more worried about humans in general. Oh my goodness. I I have I have hope and I have faith that that will be a a differentiator uh and it will make It'll make folks kind of snap out of the, this is all about me as long as I'm on this planet and I have to do what I can to, to survive and, and be awesome. And it's more like, hey, let's leave a mark. That's awesome. You know what really, and this is just adding on to what you're saying, Micah, because I completely agree. But what really gets me is when you're talking about that, like repurposing the human race, I get so frustrated with people that like – just sit back in a chair and pout and say, it can't be done. Yeah, the <laughs> truth is we can build any freaking future that we want for the human race. Like th if you sit down and you think about everything that's changed just in my lifetime, I mean, Steve, think about where the world was back in 1990. Like, really think about that, where you had to buy CDs at the mall, global systems for shipping did not exist in the same way, you know, the only way you could get news was over a television set, you know, cable just barely existed, um, and look at where we are today on gay rights, on, you know, on, on, you know, a wider feminist consciousness, like, the changes in my lifetime have been astonishing, like Star Wars. Star Wars came out before I was born. Like, think about geek culture, what that has just changed in the last 40 years. We can make any future for the human race that we want. And the people that tell you it can't be done have been brainwashed by the status quo. Because Georgia, as you were saying, there's so much misinformation out there. And there's mm -hmm. an entire news apparatus that's dedicated to convincing people that it's this brutal winner-take-all world where they're winners and losers, and by God, you've got to screw over, you know, the people of color or the gay people so you can get ahead. And it's just a lie. It's just a lie. There's no reason that we can't do this. Now, you know, the truth is the future for the human race. You know, Gandhi has this great quote that there's enough on the planet for every human's need but not every human's greed. And, you know, as we're moving towards universal basic income, you know, the truth is food production is going to look more like Soylent and less like going to McDonald's all the time, just because that is a food you can make without destroying the planet. Um, but, you know, these are the hard choices that we've got to make just for basic human survival, because we really are looking at, you know, jobs being completely gone in 50 years within my lifetime, we are really looking at the planet 
you know, really radically being destroyed with the environmental changes, which are happening faster than even the most dire climate science, um, you know, expectations were. So, you know, we are really at a historic tipping point. And it's a lot of why I'm standing up to run for Congress right now. And just kind of Mm -hmm. go back and answer my own question that I was posing mostly as devil's advocate. Um, Like, if you look at history, right, and like the development of civilization, we did once we like discovered and perfected, not perfected, but we developed agriculture. Like, that's really when you started seeing like a lot of art and a lot of like learning start happening because you could specialize a little bit and you, the, the tribe or the or the village would kind of sustain the people who were going on to do more artisanal things or, you know, starting to do to start doing research or learning or coming up with, you know, with with different theories and stuff like that. And that is a possibility to happen again. I mean, if you look at all the the people who are like, quote unquote, starving artists, which is not really a quote unquote, that's that a lot of them are, they're struggling. If they can't make their art marketable, then it's not, you know, it's hard for them to continue to do it. So if they had that extra time to be able to, you know, to focus on their art or focus on, on learning something that maybe doesn't have an immediate commercial application, but can somehow improve society, we could see another renaissance potentially. That's that's the ultra-optimistic view. But you need to be able to accept that a lot of the jobs that are going to be replaced, a lot of them are probably ones that humans don't necessarily want to do in the first place. And if we can think of it less as allowing people to just sit around all day and more as like freeing up their time to be able to do something that could benefit society in other ways other than just making a company money, then maybe we can start, you know, moving forward that way. Yeah. And I just, I, we should probably move on, yeah. but I just want to say one more thing here. You know, we're not as far away from universal basic income as we want to think, because the truth is the government puts all kinds of tax credits out for all kinds of behavior. Like here in Massachusetts, you know, we have the um, the li- uh, LIPO program for low-income people to get heating oil, you know? Um, you know, you get tax credits for cars, that the government approves of, you get tax credits for children, you get tax credits for this and that, and corporations are hyper, like corporations are the ones currently getting the universal basic income. Yeah, yeah. So, you're absolutely you know, right. You know, we're Now close. that companies are people. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So, you it's know, true. We, can, we can move closer. We are closer to this than we realize. And frankly, you know, Steve, our next topic is going to be autism, you know, and I just have to say, like, you know, I want a future where your daughters are valued by the human race and you don't have to worry about their survival being at the whim of a politician. Like we have a party here in this country that talks about being pro-life. You know, I really believe every single human life deserves dignity. Yeah. I, I really do. And I just... It's to me, it really, I don't talk a lot about my faith, but to me, it really comes down to being a Christian, Uh you know, like this, this belief that we're all in this together and we have a commitment to each other. Like it's a deeply Christian view. So, um, I just, I frankly don't believe anyone that tells you it can't be done. And, you know, like when people start talking about being socialism, this is the last I'll say on this. I'm so tired of 
complex issues like automation and universal basic income and climate change being boiled down to freaking buzzwords that have you root for concepts like it's a freaking football team. Yeah, the truth is, like, when we're moving towards universal basic income, this is kind of a Republican idea and it's kind of a liberal idea. It's a mixture of these two. And what I think the big failure of our political system has been is that the two parties are so divided over these social issues that are used to, you know, drum us up. And it stops us from realizing we're really both facing the same economic threats. So, you know, what I want to do going forward is for us to like find that commonality that, you know, the reason Trump won was the Republican base took over that party because they realized the people were not representing them. And they, they voted for a clown president. <laughs> but, you know, like that was a revolt within the party. And the truth is the Democratic Party nearly did the same with Bernie and Hillary. And, you know, the truth is this kind of two-party corporate system is on the downfall. And, you know, I want to be on this wave of history of, you know, having the actual people be represented. So, you know, we can look at answers like this and we just don't need to be divided with buzzwords like socialism. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Doesn't, doesn't that go all the way back to when, like, you know, people were upset between the, the Cold War and communism and anything that would be socialist was bad, but most of the countries that do really well for the people and have higher qualities of life are social democracies yeah. um, or more socialistic in nature. Um, and a lot of pieces of the U.S. are already very socialistic. Like a lot of people um, won't want to give up their social security or the military or food stamps for people that can't afford to eat. And these are all things that are socialist as well. I think that it gets a really bad rap um, because of an old school belief that anything that goes to everyone is against democracy, whereas they can work really, really well together just to make sure that we take care of all of our people. And most families are exceptionally socialistic, right? Like, I will take care of my kids, and if I can afford it, pay for their schooling and give them that and take care of them. Why isn't a country doing exactly the same thing for all of its people? Really, do we need as much as what we have? And I think that it goes to the comment that Steve made about the dehumanization of poor people that happens. We say that, you know, oh, well, they're, they're not trying hard enough and anyone can get a job. And if they didn't do this or that, that is only happens so that we can then we dehumanize them so that we can ignore them so that we no longer feel bad that we walk by them in the streets and they're hungry and cold and have difficulties and we're not dealing with them. And so that only happens so that they can be ignored. And I don't think that anyone in a society should be ignored. I agree. I agree. Uh, yes, we should. We should definitely move on. Uh, I want to tell you all about Smile, but I do want to quickly touch on one of the things Bree said. You, you you mentioned how tying things to to the to the one word and kind of boiling it all down to that. You know, speaking specifically on that, I can. I, I was just thinking this morning. Uh, I, I can't remember which word it was, but there was a word that came to mind, and I can remember growing up hearing that word, and I all oh, it was, it was the word liberal. And growing up, you know, I heard that word, and I 
immediately just it was it was associated with bad for me. And there are so many of those words like evolution growing up. That was another. It's just bad. And anytime you hear it, you just kind of like shut down and you don't pay attention to it because it's bad and it goes against my, my religious beliefs in, you know, in young Micah's mind and in kind of the teachings that he had at the time. And so I can't stress enough how, you know, thinking about how, quote unquote, the other side thinks in these things. I can't stress enough how important it is to not let these things get boiled down to one word, because that is some of the teaching where we, we just hear that one word and immediately you just shut down and you stop paying attention to it because it's bad. And it took so long for me to kind of step out of that and say, let's listen to what these concepts are as opposed to these one words or, you know, these individual words. And so I do think it's important to kind of break these things out and not let it all just get jumbled into one thing because they're so different in concept. But we do have to move on. I have to tell you about our dear friends at Smile because they are awesome and they always make me smile. This episode of Disruption is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. Text Expander for Teams is a productivity multiplier. You get a shared knowledge base to ensure your teams communicate quickly and accurately. And with Text Expander, all of your team's common replies can be worded by your best writers. Then they're all immediately accessible and searchable through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts. And the response anybody needs is just a couple keys away. What's great about Text Expander is that it's available on the platform your team is on. It's on the Mac, it's on iOS, and now it's on Windows. Text Expander helps customer service teams provide better, better, faster, and more accurate service. You're going to be able to ensure that customers are treated consistently and that any change in messaging can be updated across the board. So that's how it works for, for teams and for uh, support groups. But for, for me, you know, as an individual, I friggin' love Text Expander. I use it every day in so many settings. And I just want to give one example. Um, when we're writing about different products specifically, people uh, at, at my job, people often want to know where they can go to find that product. And so we've got this handy little link uh, that's got a little shopping cart next to it and it tells you where the, you know, the product is sold. And we have to do some special coding in order to make it appear like that on our site. So I have this really handy text expander snippet where I go to, uh, you know, if the product sold on Amazon. I go to Amazon, I copy the URL, uh, command copy, and then I come back into the article and I hit colon shop. I type that out on my keyboard and text expander is listening for me to type that uh, little snippet out. And when I do, it automatically takes the link from Amazon. It drops it in our markdown linking and it adds the special coding that needs to exist after in order to make that a special shop link. I can't tell you how much time that saves because before I'd have to type out all the different curly brackets of the little words inside. It'd take forever. So that saves me so much time in just that one thing. And I use Text Expander for so friggin' much. So if you don't have Text Expander yet, I'm telling you, I don't care if you are a team or if you're one person or if you're three people, it doesn't matter. You can seriously find ways to save time on the computer if you do any typing at all. Uh, teams of all sizes can harness these productivity benefits. Just go to textexpander.com slash disruption and you're going to get a free trial. Then you'll see firsthand why Companies like One Password, WordPress, Shopify, and you need a budget. All use Text Expander. So I thank you so much to Text Expander, and thank you so much to Smile, who's incredibly supportive of all the Relay podcasts for their support of this show. 
If you're a woman on the internet, you need Smile and Text Expander because when you're reporting harassment to you know, on all your social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, you know, to your email provider because you've been hacked, you can't retype that all the time. You're a busy professional woman. You need you need Text Expander to just go like. <laughs> Like one of my text expander shortcuts is, oh, is my key shortcut. And it's just OMFG. And then I, type, <laughs> I just type it in and it fills in the same report for the same guy that I can't imagine he does anything with his life but wake up at 8 a.m. and go, time to harass Brianna Wu. Oh my so, God. <laughs> so, yes, if you're a woman on the internet, Text Expander, it's a must-buy product. It will save you so much time. I wholeheartedly endorse it. Text Expander, a weapon to fight the trolls. Yes. Alrighty. We are moving along (laughs) to talk about Overwatch. It has now officially come out per a a letter, actually, from the game director of Overwatch that a fan favorite. Is it Symmetra? Is that how you pronounce it? That's how you pronounce it, yeah. Symmetra is on the autism spectrum. And, uh, you know, I, the, the game itself, Overwatch, doesn't have a story mode. It's, it's not intended to be played that way. However, there is, there are several comics that come out that kind of give backstories to different characters. And for a while, uh, it wasn't exactly clear that Symmetra was on the autism spectrum, but, uh, from the, the, the comic that came out, you could, kind of tell uh, based on what Symmetra had said. And so someone wrote in and, you know, wanted an actual full-on confirmation of it. And yes, uh, Jeffrey Kaplan said that that is indeed the truth. So this is really awesome. And Steve, you have obviously uh, some personal connection here. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Whenever we talk about autism on the show, none of us are autistic my two daughters are autistic that's sometimes i'm just saying it up front because i know we get this comment every time we we talk about it um i'm not speaking for people with autism or autistic people but just from my experiences you know with two autistic daughters in the house but i came home last night and i told my oldest daughter who plays overwatch like she means she doesn't play symmetra she means diva mostly because i mean why Mm -hmm. wouldn't you mean a giant a girl in a giant purple mac but yeah diva's um, great i love diva <laughs> but i i told her that um that they revealed that symmetra is autistic like her and she said you mean that there's there's someone like me in the game and she was she was really mm-hmm. really excited like the this the look on her face was it, the joy on her face was amazing and oh. and it, it's it's a little bit um it was a little bit frustrating because this comic came back in may of last year and all that she's – I mean, the, it's basically one line in the comic where she says specifically, asking where I fit on the spectrum, it used to bother me because I knew it was true. It doesn't bother me anymore because I can do things nobody else can do. And mm-hmm. it, that was mm-hmm. enough to kind of lay the seed, but that – it was still vague enough. Like, on the spectrum is often a another term for autistic, but it's not mm-hmm. always. 
Right. And, and there are many spectrums. And, and I mean, the word spectrum existed long before autistic spe- autism spectrum disorder existed. So it wasn't really enough for me to ever tell her about it because I didn't want to have it come out that, no, that wasn't the case. Right. And then um, and she's not really reading the comics or anything like that. But I mean, especially the fact that Symmetra is an autistic woman and doesn't present as, uh, you know, as as uh, outwardly autistic that it had to be, you know, confirmed that way is fairly consistent with the fact that autistic women um, are often not diagnosed or diagnosed much later in life because the the predominant diagnosis for autism is based on boys. And a lot of the behavior that autistic boys present in terms of like not not engaging socially and not being able to pick up social cues sometimes manifest very differently in women because women, uh, autistic women can typically do a better job of mimicking, of, of mimicking those social cues, even if they're not necessarily natural to them. You know, there were some comments after that, like, well, you, you know, she doesn't seem autistic and it's like, no, you're, you're missing the point. That's, that's good. That's exactly you you would there are, are probably a lot of people who you know who may be autistic that you wouldn't know without them telling mm-hmm. you right so yeah I, yeah know. um no i think that's really well said i would uh disagree that symmetra is a major is <laughs> a fan favorite for overwatch she's one of the worst characters to play she's not that popular which is why they're retooling her but yeah yeah there's definitely value with uh showing um just showing people existing in different media. Yeah. I mean, mechanically, she's not she's not great, but that that's why they gave her the rework. Because I think people wanted to play her because they liked the character, but her tool set was not great for the game, generally. I think she's a little bit better since they gave her the rework. But I, I, I still don't really play her because I find her too difficult to play. But That might be where the confusion came from. <laughs> uh, I was re- reading in this Polygon article, and it said that, uh, that the character was a, a favorite hero. So maybe it was more tied yeah. to the character in terms of the story of the character, not so much in the game itself. Yeah. I mean, it's also the fact that she's one of one of, if not the only playable Indian women in video games as well, you know? So there's a lot of people who like her as the character, but in gameplay, she's very, she's very much a niche choice for a particular composition, not someone that you just, you know, load up like, like um, diva or tracer or, um, you know, or Lucio or someone like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I, I really think that this is, this is wonderful. And hearing that story, um, about you coming home and getting to, to, you know, to announce that is not only awesome, you know, for you as a parent, uh, to get to see that, but of course, awesome for your daughter. So yeah. that, that's really, it's touching. And I hope that, uh, you know, more games and any sort of media pays attention to this because I do, I do think that media is one of our best tools as humans in normalizing yeah. uh, different different differences and uh, when we pay attention to those things and uh, help to just make them what they are, which you know ultimately is normal um, but but culturally normal and you yeah. know socially normal i I think that that's awesome. Um, so I, I, again, I hope that that continues and I hope that, uh, this gets, you know, the attention that it deserves in, in order to continue to encourage these things. Yeah. This is way better than any, any garbage that Autism Speaks has done over the years. That's for sure. So. <laughs> 
we we so we have some more video gaming news to talk about because we've uh the the enduring saga of the Nintendo Switch launch is uh oh my continu- God. continuing unabated. Oh my yeah, god! Georgia, I think you made the right choice about yeah. not uh, not getting the Switch console. <laughs> have I have I pulled you guys over? No, she needs to oh, buy one as penance for not buying the Wii U. There it, you it, go. Yeah. That's, that's oh, fair. This this uh, console is unpurchasable. It is unpurchasable, guys. Like if you buy one, you might as well like get four hundred dollars and go set it on fire in your front yard because <laughs> that's how much of a sucker you are. So. I wasn't aware of this because I was in New York doing media, but Steve posted a video in our private chat, and it is jaw-dropping, guys. I mean, Georgia, back me up here, right? Yeah, no. I, I think it was me that posted the video. Oh, I was it totally... you? Yeah. I assume because <laughs> it was Switch complaining that was Steve. I, I, think, I, no, I, think, I think we both had like a series of articles and, and videos because there was – well, there was the one video that George – I'll put them both in the show notes. There was the one video that Georgia posted that was just a collection of launch failures. Oh and then there God. was then there was another one that I posted in our in our group chat of someone opening it up and making a modification to the Joy-Con to significantly okay, yeah. incre- increase yeah. the, uh, the connectivity. Okay. So it's George's video you need to watch. So guys, <laughs> look, this is not opening day – Jitters. Like, this is not software that's a revision away from being okay. This is, this is the biggest problem is the screen looks more scratchable than, I don't know, like a a cat clawing post, right? (laughs) Like, it is, it's plastic. It's plastic. It's like cheap plastic. It's not even like the hard plastic that, that, you know, can, can survive a little bit. It's like really, soft dish plastic that can get scratched just from putting it in the little dock oh oh so you put it in the dock you place your switch in the dock and your screen gets permanently destroyed guys (laughs) like and this is the dock that's made this is not like like a dock a third-party dock this is the dock that comes with it this is how it's supposed to be used yeah and it, it destroys the screen. So like, to say nothing of the entire user case for the thing is like carrying it around in a bag where you're supposed to just be happy-go-lucky. Your screen will be destroyed. So the fact that they're not using Gorilla Glass just blows my freaking mind. Yeah. Like that is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. So it's not just that. It's the controller is not purchasable because it gets like you can be like three feet from the stupid system and it still won't pick up in this video like the other joy con mm-hmm. it shuts down randomly it crashes the gpu is bugged it has overheating issues it i mean am i even okay how about this the usb-c port like in yep, the original same. switch video they show it like you know people out hey i'm having fun here it plugs into the bottom unlike the wii u see it can't even play it on a table in the kickstand breaks like this is a this is a nightmare there is no reason anyone should purchase this it's a great oh how about the the joy-con controllers that if you happen to accidentally put one upside down one time they're gonna lock permanently like it's cement and you're gonna be like finding a precision screwdriver to try to ram it inside the controller like you're doing surgery on like a squirrel to like find the, <laughs> to find the exact place to push in it and disconnect it something it children are going to do all the time yeah. this is 
this is bad hardware, guys. This is bad hardware. Unless, because I know Nintendo people are listening to me right now, and they're like, Bree, you just don't love Nintendo enough. That's your problem. I was so psyched for the system. I would love to pay him 400 bucks for this thing. I would be delighted to be playing Zelda right now. But I can't buy this, because I know I'll be throwing it in the garbage a month from now. Like, this is really bad, guys. And, and to be fair, if you've listened to this show... For any period of time, you will know that usually it is me flailing my arms in the air and screaming about minor technical issues and Bree either trying to t- talk me down from the ledge or yelling at me to, to, to grow up and shut up. So, yeah. Yeah, so the fair. fact that Bree is, is upset about this is, is not just me being, you know, over dramatic. I, I think that we should give a link to this other video that talks about what specifically the problem is with the Joy-Con, which is that um, apparently, like, the antenna on the left Joy-Con is built into the board of the controller as opposed to the... The, re- the reason that the left Joy-Con specifically has a problem is, as opposed to the right one is that the right has, like, its own separate antenna, and the left one is built into the board of the controller, and it comes out right next to this metal box, which is creating interference. And so there's this video that I'll put in the show notes of someone who opened it up and basically like resoldered the antenna to have it coming out on the other side of the Joy-Con. And all of a sudden he can go 40 feet away and not have any sort of a connection issue. So that's the, the problem isn't that there are manufacturing defects because those are going to happen, right? Like every, but we've gone through enough like Apple first gen hardware, like we talked about last week. To know that, you know, sometimes they have, uh, they get a bad batch of some component, they're rushing it out, they, they haven't figured out the optimal process, they figure out some ways to refine it, and then they put out another batch like six months later, and it's fine. Um, this is not that, because, I mean, choosing to use plastic instead of glass in 2017 on a portable system is, is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. This, this is a design decision to have, the the antenna coming out where it is they could fix that in future in future uh future runs but that's not something that they can just that's just going to fix by them getting more experience with making it that's a, a change to the design um it sounds like a lot of the problems with the docks scratching the screen is that the docks are actually bent when they um when they arrive which is why nintendo's kind of Nintendo's being very cagey about it because they're saying, well, we haven't seen that in testing. Well, they're probably working with pristine uh, demo units. And some of these are getting thrown in trucks, you know, and, and bouncing around. And if they get bent a little bit, and then you have a plastic screen that's easy to scratch, that's a recipe for disaster. So I, I, you know, again, I'm sure that the Switch is going to be a good system long term. It sounds like if you haven't bought one yet and you're and you don't really are you know, if you can hold off a little bit, it would probably be a good idea to just wait for a hardware revision to let them work some of these bugs out because it sounds like they were again, they were rushing to try to get this to market as quickly as possible. And there are some things that just got through testing or there are designs that they design decisions that they made, like with the screen, to try to keep the cost at three hundred dollars. But is ultimately not not a good decision, and those are those are probably things that they'll revise if the switch has long term life, which it sounds like it's going to. But you're you need to know what you're signing up for when you buy one of these units at launch. It's just it's so upsetting to have a huge company like if this was some sort of a Kickstarter and like be like oh you know what like they're they're just working out. 
Nintendo's a huge company. They understand how to make um, hardware that people can use. And they understand they, this is not their first round. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not their first ra- rodeo. So that they did this, that they chose to do this in such a rushed manner with disregard for their consumer base is really upsetting. That's saying that they really didn't care. Like a lot of these problems, like especially where the uh, USB base goes into, really could be like any thought went into the product, they would have said, well, let's put it on the top or somewhere on the side, like anywhere else but there. It's, it's thoughtless. Do we feel like uh, maybe some folks rushed to because the reason why this has surprised me a little bit is I'm getting this interesting uh, like bipartisan reaction to this console. I hear and have read a lot of positive things and mostly from individuals as opposed to, uh, you know, play testers and things like that, where people are like, I love this thing. I've spent so much time on it. I feel like I can barely even do any work because I just keep playing this game. And uh, Zelda is awesome. And the, no one's talking about the milking the cow simulator for some reason, which is just really upsetting. But aside from that, I have heard some really positive stuff on it. So do we think it's just because it's brand new and they haven't run into those problems yet. And so eventually that's going to happen. And how does that play into, you know, folks who, who are kind of waiting for these reviews to come out, see the positive, and then they go and buy the console and suddenly they're running into to trouble. It's, it's, uh, it's a little slippery there. It's, it's uh, troublesome, I think. Uh, okay, I, well, I think it's the same thing that happens with like Apple products. People are just so excited to have it. Zelda is, it's a great game. So I think that if you're just playing the game and the system has not had any of the buggy issues with it, because the game is so great and it gives you such a wonderful feeling, you are going to dismiss any of the problems and issues with the console because, one, it's new, it comes out, it's not scratched when you first use it. You might say, okay, well, it could be scratched, I'm going to buy a screen protector, which is ridiculous that if they need that, that they don't come <laughs> with it already. Um, and, and you're going to dismiss it. Once the, the novelty of the item and the game is over, that's when we're going to hear other people saying, you know what? there's actually a problem with this. You know, I'm having issues with this. And so right away, it's like getting something shiny and new. You're like, or dating someone, you're like, oh, they're amazing. They're the best thing in the world. And you have all this dopamine. And so it's like falling in love. But then after that honeymoon period is over, that's when we're going to see the truth of people that are very serious Nintendo fans and very excited to play Zelda or have a new system from Nintendo. Yeah. And and I think that, I think what it comes down to is that Zelda is a great disinfectant. Because mm. it's, I think that the it's a testament to how good Zelda is that that's mostly what people are talking about. Like because that's the only game you're playing on the Switch right now. It's that's why you're not hearing about one two switching. You're not hearing about about Super Bomberman R. You're just seeing screenshots of Zelda. And um, I actually just got Zelda um, sent to me for the Wii U, so I'm going to try it out. And we'll talk about it next week a little bit. But I think that. That's really what people are excited about. You know, you're willing, especially when you're justifying a purchase, you're going to be more likely to let some of those things slide. I think the real test is going to be like a month or or two months from now when everyone's worked through Zelda and it's going to be another month or two until there's another major game. I think Splatoon 2 is the next one that's supposed to come out over the summer. Once we get into that kind of drought after Zelda's kind of finished and there's not really anything new, that's when I think a lot more of the realistic um, assessments are going to come out and people might start getting a little bit more frustrated with the hardware issues. Again, 
is it is it a, a system breaker? Probably not. But again, if you're spending three hundred dollars on a system, you want it to work the way it was designed, and you want it to work properly. And it just sounds like this first rev is. You may want to think twice about it if you haven't already bought one, because if you haven't already bought one, you're not swayed just by Zelda enough to spend $300 plus whatever the cost of the games and accessories are on it. Bree, Nintendo just called, and they want your advice on how the heck they fix this train wreck. (laughs) What is your advice? They've got to to make a hardware revision as soon as possible. As soon as possible. Um, They need to go through. They need to... You know, like some of the the power problems and the glitches can probably be solved with a software update, hopefully. Um, but they need to, um, you know, they need to revise the Joy-Con controller to change that design. They need to uh, create a um, you know replacement program for anyone that uh, is dissatisfied with that. And by the way, Nintendo has done this before in their history, um, and they need to uh, make a version of the Switch uh, with Gorilla Glass on the front. And, you know, it needs to be one of these things where anyone that wants a replacement can send it back to Nintendo. And they need to catch this as soon as possible because this could really permanently destroy Nintendo. Um, you know, they've got a lot riding on it after the Wii U failure. But, um, you know, like a normal person um, looking at this, like, you know, they're going to get the hardcore Nintendo fans. This is This is not a purchasable system. And, you know, they rushed out the door, which is very evident uh, from the the way the titles are so obviously Wii U titles. They've just repurposed. Um, and there there we go. You know, I'll I'll spend some time playing Zelda this week, I'm sure. We'll probably have some – we'll be able to talk about that a little bit more in that once – I mean, it won't be on the Switch, but it'll be at least the game, which is supposed to be almost exactly the same. So we can talk about that next week, and uh, and, and then we'll have a little bit better idea. But Georgia says, call me back when it's in VR. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've milked that cow. We can, we can. <laughs> oh God. Uh, oh dear. Right. Well, uh, let's round things out with uh, some questions. Yes. First of all, we have some follow up on the shower situation that we need to address. Oh my God. Um. So let's start with that. Hey guys. So I just have an update for the shower eating. Now I tried to eat a lemon in the air, and the worries about <laughs> water were not present. But I found that it was very boring just standing in the shower and eating something. Usually when I eat something, I like to be watching some TV. So I found it very boring. Overall, 6 out of 10. Don't don't like it. Anyways, love the show. Bye, guys. So I, I think uh, the obvious solution then is to install a television in the shower. It, so right, that you can right. then be watching television while you're eating your lemon. And then, um, and then you know, you have the full experience there. I mean, at, at a certain point, you just kind of end up living in the shower. And then, exactly. you know, that, I guess that's Micah's utopia, but. Right, it is. I, I, a, I think that, Micah, world. you might need to, like, hydrate more and, and maybe the temperature of your house is too cold. I'm, like, just wondering, you know, the necessity. <laughs> yes. Or I'm turning into a fish, possibly. Uh, you know, I'm afraid to say any more about my activities of the shower, uh, other than the shower dining, just because it's just one more thing for, for folks to judge me on. But no, I, I, uh. Wait, what I, is I, it? I, what else? <laughs> okay, well, I just listen to music in the shower and occasionally my body starts dancing and you know it's like eating or dancing or having a great shower is just like it's a fun activity for me i just very much enjoy showers <laughs> and you just yes uh the the thought of so the eating is so that you don't have to leave no well mate no, no it's really not <laughs> I, I like i i literally get 
that sounds weird, but I literally get pleasure from eating in the shower. There's something about <laughs> eating in the shower that is different and more pleasurable for me than sitting at a table and eating. Uh, I don't know why. It just It's just that's the way it is. So, uh, Can I ask you a question, Micah? Of course, always. What's the what's the uh, what would we find is the most unusual thing uh, or more dif- most difficult thing that you have been able to eat in the shower? Like, can you do like spaghetti oh. with twirling like the oh like fork? Like, what are we? Spaghetti is is easily one of my most favorite things uh, to have eaten in the shower. Like, what, or like it's more of a point of pride, I guess. So I, you know, I've eaten lots of different things in the shower, but spaghetti is like at the top of the the pyramid. That's the thing that uh, when I inevitably, for some reason, have to bring up the fact that I dine in the shower, I like to talk about the fact that I've had spaghetti because you talk about pizza and then everybody starts talking about soggy crust, and I hate having that conversation. And, uh, until oh, I get to water my down diagram. sauce is way worse than soggy crust, Micah. But no, none of it gets watered down. That's the <laughs> thing. If you have proper shower dining technique, you don't have to worry about it. Maybe one of these days I'll release a tutorial. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I would say pizza is what, definitely. What like you in a shower naked? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, Hi that's... everybody, I'm Micah Sarton. I'm here today to give you yes. a tutorial. On like how that to episode, do it. it'll have a lot of views. I would yeah, watch it. May, you, would it watch may it. not be YouTube that you post that to. Maybe one of those alternative video sites, like RedTube. Uh, yeah, it's maybe something like that that you'd have to post in that too. Oh golly! I'm trying to think. Like, who who do you talk to? What production company can you call? Um, hi, I need you to video me while I'm in the shower eating food. Uh, I, I, no, I don't think can't. you need a production company to call. I think you need to go call anxietyvideos.com and, and work that out. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's. Uh, what basically the thing is, you're eating it wrong. That's my answer oh, to God. your question. Let's oh. move on. Well, well, before just the final word on this, Slinger Tail had uh, had wrote into the show as well, and he says. No, this I, is unacceptable. This I, is this is a blatant attack, and I do not appreciate it. But go ahead. Um, um, he says, "I have the feeling hashtag Showergate has been blown out of proportion, and Micah was unfairly attacked. So I want to speak to him directly to him and say, feet, 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 feet. Wow, <laughs> wow. Oh, that's so, harsh. That's yeah. an attack. That's yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like you expect that you know the people out there listening." <laughs> Uh, care about you and care about your feelings and care about your heart and care about your happiness. And then they go and say the F word multiple times <laughs> to you in a direct message. <laughs> yes. So I, feet, I just feet you feel like a sergeant feet you. I just came out here to have a good time and I'm honestly feeling so attacked right now. Uh, okay. So we have one more, more serious question uh, from the voicemail and then we'll, we'll, we'll call it a show. So. Greetings, Disrupticons. This is Phoebe Zeitler in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. How are you doing? Um, I have been a long-time listener of the show and friend of Steve. Um, but my question really has to do with something that was mentioned during the last show uh, regarding the concept of uh, being able to speak candidly and speak uh, with the expectation that you will be treated in the same way that others will treat you. Uh, the thought that struck me is that we're in an environment where the world doesn't play by the rules of what's said here stays here. So I was just wondering, how would this constant siege mentality where everything that everyone says uh, has to be distilled into an easily distortable soundbite, 
which could then be redistributed. How does that fit in with the concept of uh, uh, privileged conversations for, like, um, attorney-client uh, privilege or doctor-patient privilege, or even um, the concept that I was calling in was actually was something like Alcoholics Anonymous. That kind of a culture can't be created in this environment now because there is no expectation that what's said somewhere stays there. And I was just wondering if uh, I'm off the mark here, if that's a bigger symptom or if that's the root of the problem is that privacy and anonymity have been eroded so badly. But anyway, love the show. Um, please don't dress up as a panda. Um, not necessarily because, I mean, if you want to, that's fine. Just don't go scare the other pandas. It, um, it frightens them. Don't ask me how I know that. And I'll catch you later. Bye. I'm pretty sure those other pandas would love me just saying, but. Yeah, I think that it's a really good, I think that it's a really good point. Uh, whenever I do group sessions, um, because of social media, because of how much people want to share their lives to vast amounts of people. Um, I always, before group sessions, I talk to people. Like I say, you know, this is what we have to do. This is what is private. Things that would have been assumed private now are not. Um, and so I always discuss that. But I've, I've had cases where after even after having that discussion, someone's found out that, you know, someone was speaking about what was supposed to be private. And I think that private and public has been changing. And I think that people are like, oh, no, it's important to share. Well, you know, share your stuff, but don't share other people's stuff. That's something that should should always be thought of. And I, I think that it also goes with sharing pictures and images on social media. I think that if you don't have permission by someone uh, to share something or know them very well that they won't mind, then you should not be doing that. I know a lot of people have been offended or upset or hurt that someone shared a picture that they didn't find flattering. You might think it's the most beautiful picture of them and they would love it, but they may not for whatever reason that they have. And then they end up in fights because someone's not going to take down an image that someone else finds is upsetting or maybe they're not on social media and don't want to be and you want to share this special moment but have not asked permission beforehand. It's a really big deal. I think that privacy is a huge deal. I mean, it's it's ultimately, it's that's a tough one. Because, <laughs> um, you know, originally I was going to say uh, – if if that was to be used against you, if someone were to to take something that you said out of context or to even, you know, like Adobe has some new terrifying program where it can use your voice patterns to basically replicate your voice and you can type in words and make somebody say anything um, using oh. their voice patterns. Right. Terrifying. Oh. Why did they create this? I have no idea. Terrifying. Really? Um, yeah. And I was going to say, uh, you know, people get to know who you are and know who you are as a person. And in that sense, you know, it could be easy for me to like discount something. If someone were to say, I think koalas are the greatest animal in the entire universe with that Adobe program. And it came from me. People know that that's not true because of my obvious distaste for koalas and how terrible they are. Um, but I think then, you know, then I kind of pull back because I do think that that's speaking from a place of privilege where we here have the opportunity to um, be heard by 
many folks. And so it's easier for me as a person who has some sort of platform to, you know, discount, uh, some false information. Whereas an individual who does not have that platform, uh, I think it would be more difficult for them to say, look, this is who I am that I have, you know, I have receipts. I have a track record. You could go back and see who I am as a person. And based on that, you should know that this is false. So, uh, honestly, like this is a tough one for me because that would that would have been what I would have said. But again, I I don't think that everybody has that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I don't I, think that everyone would believe. Unfortunately, right? Some mm-hmm. like you hear, you'd be like, "Well, I've heard it." Like now with technology, we can change everything. We can say, "Oh, I found this on your computer, and it was placed there." Like we know that people have done that before in the past. You know, when you want something, people often now try to, like, the unfortunate thing with media is that anything out there is then believed until it is, and even after it's confirmed not to be true, that air of that something bad might have happened for, like, people like to, like, again, that that we we dehumanize people. We're like, oh, well, you know, they probably were involved in something they shouldn't have in order so that we don't feel so bad that this could happen, and also that separates us from the person that had this happen. So, well, it couldn't happen to me because I don't run in those type of circles. And so that's why this happened to them and they kind of deserved it. And so there's a lot of problems with even if someone does believe you, the people that know you believe you, but then everyone else doesn't. And then you become stigmatized, even if it's not something that you have to worry about. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's also just kind of that, you know, there's a lot of just taking things out of context without... Um, you know, necessarily without good intentions or generally without good intentions. And, you know, when you're boiling, just boiling everything down to a very small clip, you can make people, you can spin that. It's easier to spin that however you want. You know, whenever you're taking a small clip or you're taking 140 characters without any additional context, it's very easy to make that say what you want it to say, whether that was the intention or not. Um, it, it's not even necessarily that. It's it's an you know anonymity or confidence as much as that you have to be very. I think a lot of people in those types of positions have to be very conscious about how they're saying such that it can't be taken out of context, and then that leads them to speak in a very specific way because then you're you're, you're you can't possibly say what you mean in the same way if you're constantly thinking in the back of your head how do I say this such that it can't be spun another way, you know. Um, Absolutely. Um, so we have a couple of who's, more who said it's from Charles, but I think yeah, we can save that for next week. Yes. Um, so, Michael, why don't you uh, let everybody know where they can get their own questions uh, sent in for next week? Yep, absolutely. If you would like to get in touch, here is how you can do that. You can call us at 508-418-3532 to leave a voicemail, or you can tweet us at underscore DisruptionFM with the hashtag DisruptMe. Or you can send us a direct message if you'd like to keep things private. In any of those cases, please let us know if we can use your name on the show, because otherwise we will default to anonymous. Uh, If you're looking for the show notes, you can find all of the stuff we talked about today at relay.fm slash disruption or likely in whatever podcast app you're using. Uh, if you're looking for me online, you can find me at www.chihuahua.coffee has all the links to all the things. Steve, if people are looking for you, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me, well, probably playing Hearthstone, but otherwise you can find me on Twitter at Wicked Good. 
Awesome. And Bree, where can people find you? You can find me um, at the Twitter account Space Cat Gal. All righty. And last but not least, the queen of the dash and the underscore, the lovely Georgia Dow. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. It's at Georgia underscore Dow. And you can also check out Anxiety Dash videos if you're dealing with anxiety, depression, um, or any uh, boundaries issue or parenting. All right. Very well. All that is left is for Steve to say that thing he says every week. So, Steve, take it away. Go, go. Don't listen to this in the shower, but go listen to something else. We're done. Bye.